not God. The Bible says, choose for your tribes wise, understanding, and experienced men. God wants us to choose leaders who will make decisions based on biblical principles. If Christians won't vote for the good of America, who will? Well, I don't like either candidate. And the one that I really like isn't even in the running. Hey, no one in authority is perfect, but there's always a better choice. Pray about it and vote the better choice. Listen, I can't be bothered to vote. Our country's a big mess and it's not going to get any better whether I vote or not. Have you ever read a history book? How do you think things get changed in our country? They get changed in the voting booth. Voting is not only our right, it's our responsibility. Hey, voting is a waste of time. My one vote doesn't make a difference. Did you know there are 90 million Christians who are eligible to vote? Take your one vote based on biblical values and multiply it by millions of other votes based on biblical values. And what do you get? You get a landslide. It starts with that one vote, yours. And don't forget that some elections have been decided by just a few hundred votes. Without your one vote, an important race could be lost. But I can't even get to the polls on election day. So it doesn't matter if I want to vote or not. Well, maybe there's someone out there who can help you get to the polls. Will anyone out there help a senior citizen or someone who's handicapped or needs a babysitter or doesn't have transportation or doesn't know where their polling place is? Anyone? Yes, I see those hands. Go ahead and offer to help. All right, I'm sold. I think I'll vote after all. Thanks. Hey, I'm planning to vote. Are you? Well, good morning. It's good to see you here this morning. I hope you heard all those exhortations. I think they're right on the money. A lot of good reasons there. Uh, you know, let's not be confused, okay? Uh, this election, and really every election that we have the privilege of being able to participate in, is never, never about personalities. It's about positions. It's about what people believe to be right and people what people oppose. So if you don't know what the positions are, uh, you need to be informed. Now, one of the things that we've done for lots of years is provide um, position papers back there for you to look at. There's one that's just a front and back. Uh, it talks about the two different positions that are being advanced in the country today, and you can look at them side by side, and you can bring your understanding of what God's Word says about those issues, and it will help you be an informed voter. So I would encourage you, they're back on the um, Welcome Center there. They're available for you to look at, take home. Uh, or if you know somebody who would benefit from that, take a couple. Take, just make sure they get into people's hands, okay? So it's good to see you here this morning. I was thinking as we were going through our uh, rehearsal this morning, because we always do that before we get into the worship service. Uh, we like to sing through the music that we're going to be doing so we don't mess it up and hopefully will have accomplished that goal, you know, this morning. But as we were going through the music, I, it occurred to me that, that there's something that is a secret that men don't know. Men don't know. Well, you thought men knew everything? Oh, okay. <laughs> that secret is this, is that men can sing God, the way God put a man's voice together, a man can sing two complete octaves, okay, uh, which is a much broader range than women. Women have these beautiful, high, lilting voices that we love to listen to, but they don't have the ability to sing the range that men do. So men have a chest voice, but men also have a head voice as well, which enables them to sing low and enables them to sing high. 
Now, the reason I was thinking about that is because this is a Sunday where we're going to be doing a lot of traditional hymns. And the cool thing about traditional hymns is they are like going to the gym. They are a real workout. Physically, they are a real workout. And uh, you got to breathe deep. And they go from low all the way up to high. And I, I watch guys deal with that. And they'll sing down here like this, you know, and they'll never get out of that. That's just their one octave. Got a whole nother octave. Then let them sing all the way up here. Did I just scare you? So what I'm going to challenge, especially the guys, because God has given you the tools to be able to sing two complete octaves. As we sing these songs this morning, go for it. I was expecting a woohoo, yeah. <laughs> okay, so we're going to help you do that. Uh, oh, look at that. We've got hymn numbers up this morning, too. And the, I'll say one other thing. We're going to sing a hymn entitled Trusting Jesus. And quite frankly, I'm embarrassed to say it. Uh, I had to go and um, look over Debbie's shoulder to be reminded of how the song goes. And we thought maybe you, even if you're familiar with hymns, might have a little bit of a challenge with that one too. So in your hymnal, that's this red book with all the squiggly lines in it, on page number 439, uh, if you can read music, uh, just open up to hymn number 439 when we get there. You'll be ready. You'll have your hand right there on it, and you'll be able to just belt it out for Jesus. Is that a good way of putting it? Belt it out for Jesus? I think it's pretty good. So the other thing I was thinking as we were practicing together this morning is <laughs> there's a right way and a wrong way to sing hymns, right? Uh, singing a hymn looking like you don't know what you're singing is not a great way to sing a hymn, okay? Uh, but listening to the words coming out of your mouth and offering them to the Lord and remembering what he's done in your life allows that to become an offering of praise. And I tell you what, I want it up here, even as we sing through these hymns this morning, I want to do that. I want to reflect upon the reasons I personally have for praising God for what he's done. And I want to encourage you to do the same thing. Fair enough? Did you all not go to bed early enough last night? <laughs> okay. So with all those things in mind, let's stand up. And we're going to begin our time together by singing not to each other, but we're going to sing to the Lord. Let's do it. Here we go. Praise Him, praise Him, Jesus our blessed Redeemer. Sing the world, His wonderful love proclaim. Hail Him, hail Him, highest archangels in glory. Strength and honor, give to His holy name. Like a shepherd, Jesus will guide His children. Excellent greatness, praise him, praise him, ever in joyful song. Praise him, praise him, Jesus our blessed Redeemer. For our sins, he suffered and bled and died. He our rock, our hope of eternal salvation. Hail him, hail him, Jesus the crucified. 
sorrows, love unbounded, wonderful, deep and strong. Praise Him, praise Him, tell of His excellent greatness. Praise Him, praise Him, ever in joyful song. Praise Him, praise Him, Jesus our blessed Redeemer. Heavenly portals, loud with hosannas ring. Praise the Lord, let the earth hear 
to be able to stand in your presence with each other, brothers and sisters, because of what Christ has done for us to sing to you the praises for the transformation that he's made possible through the grace he's made available through his blood shed on the cross. So we've gathered in this place today, Lord, because we need to hear from you. We need your strength. We need your wisdom. Father, we need to be a reflection into this community, into this world of your very nature, your very word. We've come today so that we might be prepared. Would you help us? Would you use your spirit to move among us and in us to make us ready for the week ahead? Father, we thank you for the the confidence that you have placing us here right now in this place, in this community to reflect who you are back to a, a world that needs to know. Give us courage. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. And in the process of carrying through with this week, may we bring you the glory that you deserve. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. may be seated. So, we're going to uh, sing Heaven Came Down and Glory Filled My Soul. What a great song. And then it's going to be that Trusting Jesus, hymn number 439, if you want to take advantage of that hymnal in front of you. You know, uh, I, I don't know that the things that should evoke praise in us are the very deep things. I think they're the very simple things. Heaven came down. Jesus. God himself. If you don't know who he is, Jesus is God come down in flesh. God the Son. He came down for you and me. Isn't that a reason for being thankful, grateful this morning? You betcha. And uh, that song that I keep talking about, trusting Jesus. What are you trusting in? Where is your hope? Is it in politics? I wouldn't do that. Is it in your bank account? I wouldn't do that. Is it in the one who will never disappoint, Jesus, who always understands, who is never disconnected, who is never lacking in power? Is it him? Well, he's the only one who's worthy of that kind of trust. So as we think about all the reasons for which we should be thankful this morning, and we think about who we really trust in, what really is our rock and our foundation, let's be reminded as we sing these songs. Let's sing again. Jesus 
Well, Father, we have uh, just sung a prayer of faith to you. Now, somewhere between the words that we sing and the life that we live, we want to find the reality of that trust played out in our actions. Father, we know that you keep all of your promises. Absolutely convinced of that. We know by your word that you are the God of all comfort, and we are encouraged by that. Father, help us in our weakness, even the, the prayer of, of those faithful gone before us. Increase our faith. Grow us up in our faith. Strengthen our faith. We pray for ourselves that you would do that. Father, we realize that this life is just broken. It's filled with all kinds of brokenness, physical and emotional and spiritual and social. It's just broken. Such is the consequence of sin. But we are so very grateful that even in the midst of all the brokenness that you have given us a Redeemer and that you've promised us that there will be a new heaven and a new earth. Give us the, the eyes of faith to really believe that and not become discouraged or downhearted. Instead, Father, far from, far from that, we pray that we would just be able to rejoice in every circumstance. And again, in our conversations and the conduct of our life as we go into this week, that it would be reflected when we face those hard times as people watch us trust in you. You are the trustworthy one. Father, we pray for the grieving we just pray that you would enfold them in your arms and in a very personal way speak to them through your Holy Spirit. Father, we pray for the hurting whose hurts are those of the flesh who are struggling right now not to be discouraged by the pain and the discomfort. We pray for healing, Father. We pray for the hurting who hurt in spirit, whose minds are troubled, who seemingly can never find a place of peace and especially for those who are looking in all the wrong places to find it. Father, would you bring the conviction of your Holy Spirit to redirect their attention back to you? Use us, Father, if we would be a part of the answer to that prayer. Use us to speak a word of encouragement or a word of truth. Father, we are so very grateful that... Uh, no matter what this life brings us in its brokenness, that you have made us more than conquerors. You have made us overcomers. Help us to live like that with our attitude, with our charity, with our encouragement, with our dedication to the truth. Father, help us to live fully convinced of that. Again, we just want to thank you for who you are, the unchanging, Thank you for Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Good morning. So uh, last night as I was preparing my devotion, uh, I was thinking about how much I didn't want to come up here. It's uh, quite uncomfortable for me, to say the least. But then, uh, then I thought about uh, Moses and all the excuses that he made to um, get out of doing the the will that God had for him. 
And, uh, and then I thought about uh, Jesus' teaching from Matthew 16, verse 24 and 25. <clears throat> if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways and take up your cross and follow me. For whoever ha hangs to, onto his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And I know I may not be leading a nation out of Egypt today, but... Um, I do recognize that coming up here and sharing God's word with you guys is an opportunity to serve not only him, but you guys in the community. So uh, I want to challenge you guys to, uh, if you have an opportunity to serve in any capacity, to uh, take up your cross and keep in mind how much of an impact you have here in, in the community. Let's remember this.
let's uh, pray for the elements. <clears throat> Lord, uh, I thank you for your son Jesus who uh, you sent down here to sacrifice for our sin, Lord. And uh, I thank you for those here today who are um, worshiping and praising you. And I thank you for uh, the worship team uh, that came here early to practice and um, make sure that they're doing their best for you, Lord. And I thank you for uh, uh, all those who are here to um, uh, help those who are visiting here um, enjoy their, their time that they have here, Lord, and um, that it's a, a blessing for them to uh, be here and praise you, Lord. And uh, most of all, I thank you for um, the salvation that you afforded us through, uh, through your son, Jesus, in whose name I pray. Father, I, I pray that you will use uh, these gifts that we give back to you um, to glorify you, Lord, and I pray that uh, it will be spent in uh, ways that will yield the most benefit to you, Lord, and I pray that not only uh, the monies that we give, but our acts and our services that we can provide to one another, I pray that those will be um, utilized to not only the best of our ability, but to um, to better better your kingdom, Lord, and uh, further uh, you here on earth, Lord. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. You know, sorry about that, Steve. He just wanted to wake y'all up. Did he? Did he do that? Yeah, just bring it down. I got a big mouth. Sorry about that. You know, uh, I, I never go through that time of the Lord's Supper without, in my mind, seeing Jesus hand me the elements. And I can see the expression on his face. It is a, an expression of reassurance. It is an expression of almost inquiry. 
I laid it all on the line for you. Remember? It's a challenge. It really is. Go ahead and bring that down, Steve. Just keep coming down there because I am going to get louder. I can guarantee you. (laughs) Okay, to the edge and beyond, you guys are gone. There's Gloria. She's on the edge. Okay, there's a couple of others. All right. Well, if you've been following along, and I hope you have been following along, either in person or maybe online, we certainly are are grateful for the people who uh, can join us online. Uh, And if you have questions about what you hear during the message time, don't be afraid to give us feedback. You can always write to us uh, uh, on the website and uh, be more than happy to try to answer any questions that you might have as we go through the word. But if you've been following along, you know that we've just finished looking at Jesus' words concerning his second coming as recorded where? Do you remember? Matthew chapter 24 and 25. That's what we've gone gone through in the last couple of months. Frankly, I, I don't know how it struck you, but the way it struck me, it was some pretty heavy stuff, right? If you were listening, pretty heavy stuff, filled with warnings. Why? To get our attention. Because there are some things in life that you cannot afford to miss. And the return of Jesus is at the very top of that list. But have you ever wondered how the Christians of Jesus' day responded to what Jesus said about his return? Like if you could jump in a time machine and go back, knowing what Jesus said in in those texts, Matthew 24 and 25, how how did they respond? How did that impact them? Well, we don't have to guess, believe it or not, because two New Testament books, Paul's letters to the Thessalonians answer that very question little Bible trivia here. These are the first letters that Paul wrote. Now, you might be asking yourself, then why aren't they kind of at the beginning? Uh, I don't know. (laughs) But most Bible students say that these are the first two letters written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit by the Apostle Paul. So I've got a question for you this morning. Could you use a little bit of encouragement, some positive encouragement? Anybody here need some positive encouragement? Anybody? Okay, you know, uh, I think we're kind of all in that gear right now, aren't we? We could use a little bit of good news, or we could use a whole lot of good news. We could use a lot of encouragement, so guess what? Just in time, having heard the warnings, Jesus has our attention. We know he's coming back just in time. Some words of encouragement, and they're to be found in the reaction of the first century Christians in response to what Jesus had to say. And I can't wait to tell you the story. So we're going to get to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Yep, we're going to go through an entire chapter this morning, a whole whopping 10 verses. Okay, so don't get too panicked. I'm not going to keep you all day. But get your Bibles open, and let's look at it, because we're going to actually walk through those 10 verses rather methodically 
because we don't want to miss the encouragement that God has preserved for us there in the reaction of these Christians to the fact, because both of these letters, if you drill down to the core of what they're about, they're about the church living out its life in light of the fact that Jesus is coming back. They've got questions, they've got concerns, but they've also got a whole lot of actions that are driven by their absolute conviction that Jesus is coming back. So we get a chance this morning to begin looking at exactly what they did. Well, as Paul takes up the subject of the church in waiting, he has some powerful words of encouragement for the Thessalonians centered on the subjects of, here they are, three things we're going to talk about. Relationship, thankfulness, and assurance. Why are they always three? I don't know. That's the way I was taught to preach. Now, sometimes there's more. But there are three big things that stick out in chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians, and they are relationship, thankfulness, and assurance. Let's begin with the first one, relationship. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, just one verse. Now, can I just say something here? Uh, most people, when they start reading the Scripture, they, like verse 1 gets no attention, right? I want to get to the meat of the issue here. Can I remind you, though, that this is God's Word, and God never says anything for no reason? Verse 1 is there because we need to hear it. So my perspective from the preacher point of view is always this. Well, God, what is it that we need to hear? Let's cue our ears in because, quite frankly, this is all about relationship, and there is a ton of it in just this first verse. Let's, let's look at it together. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. Silvanus, a.k.a. Silas, okay? Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. To the church of the Thessalonians in God, the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. I don't know if you saw it in that first verse, but there are three distinct relationships that are being expressed there in just that one verse. Let's look at the first one. It's Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. You know, these three guys had been together through some incredible experiences. And just before coming to Thessalonica, do you know where they were? Little Bible trivia quiz here. They were in Philippi. That's where they were immediately before that. Paul and Silas at Philippi had been beaten severely, <laughs> thrown in prison for preaching in the city. And actually, if you want to go back and find out what happened, go back to Acts chapter 16. That's where you're going to find the, the details of what took place. It tells of the riot that led to their arrest. Their midnight jailbreak, which is pretty cool. You know, it's, it's one of those earthquakes where nothing but the jail doors pop open. <laughs> Freak the jailer out. Comes in, and he falls before uh, Paul and Silas, and he says, What do I do now? What do I do to be saved? I never thought that was a theological question on his part. I think he's worried about his skin because <laughs> his world was coming down around his ears. And I love what Paul says. Seizing the moment, he says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Talk about a setup for the presentation of the gospel. That's all happening here. And at midnight, the jailer takes them home and he bandages their wounds and he takes care of them. And then in the morning... A, a fact is discovered about Paul and Silas, a fact 
very simple to our minds, but very profound, and that was that they were Roman citizens. And all of a sudden, the magistrates are absolutely freaking out because they had beaten Roman citizens without a trial. Now, you just don't do that. And they were potentially in a whole lot of trouble. And they sent message to the uh, jailer, let those guys go, let them go. <laughs> I love Paul and Silas. says, uh-uh, not in your life. Roman citizens don't get treated that way. You guys come down and escort us from town. I love that. Paul had the, the politicians by the ear. <laughs> uh, it's all at Philippi, Paul and Silas. Timothy somewhere there, but we just don't know. You know, it, it just reminds me of the fact that tough times and hard work have a way of welding men together. I wonder if uh, Paul and Silas, you know, knew what was going to happen beforehand, if they would have gone along with Paul. Hey, you know, we're going to go on this trip, and uh, it's my second missionary journey. We're going to probably almost be nearly killed a few times. You know, what would... What would you think they would say? Eh, not these guys. I think they would have said, we're up for it. Let's go. Let's do it. <laughs> you know, men live for challenge. That's men. That's a male perspective. That's why they die so quickly, <laughs> usually from some stupid accidental death. Men live for challenge. But when Christian men take on challenge for the Lord, some stuff happens that I have borne witness to over the years. They grow up, and they grow together, and they grow the kingdom when they face challenge. And Paul and Silas and Timothy, on this second missionary journey, facing the challenge down, they grow up. And they grow together, and the kingdom catches on fire. So what about Timothy? Where's Timothy in all of this? Well, he had a more low-profile role in the account of Paul's second missionary journey. He's there. We, we see references to him, but he's, he's always kind of on the side of the picture, supporting the work that Paul's doing. You know, I, I'd actually call Timothy Paul's fixer. If there was a need, if there was a problem, it was usually Timothy that Paul would dispatch to go take care of that. You know, it's interesting because after Paul ends up leaving Thessalonica, he goes to Berea, and some unhappy Jews from Thessalonica come and make his life miserable there, and he takes off and he goes down to Athens, where he preaches before the Areopagus and uh, talks to the Greek audience there. And after that period of time, Timothy goes back to Thessalonica. Paul sent him back there. Why? Because he was worried about them. He wanted to know how his brothers and sisters were doing. Timothy the fixer. Not in the center of the picture, but always in the picture. Always doing the work of supporting. And then when he leaves Athens, he goes to Corinth Paul goes to Corinth, and Timothy comes back, and he brings the report on how things are going at Thessalonica. That was Timothy. So I don't know what picture you have in your mind of what Timothy was like, but he wasn't the tough guy. Actually, he was kind of sickly. 
you know? But I'll tell you what he was. Timothy was a faithful preacher. He was a dependable co-worker, a man that Paul came to love as a son. And Paul had no second thoughts about sending him to check on the health of the churches. He actually called him his helper. And we find him at Paul's side when he's imprisoned in Rome. Isn't that interesting? You know, I think Timothy is a great example of a faithful brother. What a wonderful picture he's left to us of true Christian friendship, brotherhood. And he stands there before me as a challenge to the same thing. Listen to what the scripture says. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. And boy, was Brother Timothy (laughs) born for adversity. You know, what's the saying? Maybe you've heard it before. A friend in your time of need is a friend indeed. A friend in need is a friend indeed. Have you ever heard that one before? Yep. Look at Timothy when you hear that. Well, there's a second group that we see of relationships here in verse 1. I know we're kind of going slow, but this is important stuff. It's the Thessalonians. It's the church of the Thessalonians themselves. Fact is that Paul spent little time establishing this church. Uh, Weeks, we can say for sure, at the most, maybe just a few months. He didn't spend much time there at Thessalonica. Like at Philippi, Paul's preaching turns the city upside down. Uh, I always get a kick out of that. You know, preacher, you shouldn't preach things that upset people. Good grief. Somebody should have told that to Paul. I mean, he just got practically murdered in Philippi. He goes off to Thessalonica. Guess what happens again? Preaching the word of God, they want to kill him there. Oh, my. Nevertheless, some Jews were convinced A large number of Greeks were convinced at Thessalonica, and not a few prominent women as well, Scripture tells us. So what was the message? You know, you got to wonder, what was he saying when he would get in front of people that got him so worked up? What was the message that kept causing so much trouble when it was preached? Well, simply this. Jesus is the real God who came back from the dead. Now, this is interesting because the Thessalonians have a God, had a God by the name of Orpheus. Have you ever heard of Orpheus? Orpheus was the God of music and poetry and the theater. Have you ever been to the Orpheum? Nobody. I mean, that was a popular name for a movie theater in our country not too many years ago. I want to go see it. Yeah, really, it was. I know I look like I'm crazy. But no, they go, we're going to go to the Orpheum, watch the latest movie. It's after this Greek god Orpheus. And, and principally, he was a musician. And as the story goes, according to Greek mythology, uh, his wife dies. And he is absolutely grief-stricken. So he makes a journey into the underworld to go get her back. That's noble, isn't it? Come on, sisters. Aw. So he goes down into the end of the world to bring her back, and he finds her, and he's bringing her back, and yet on the way, she, I forget exactly what happens, but like she looks backward almost like, a, you know, a, a Lot's wife, and she doesn't make it out of the underworld. He comes back 
from the underworld, and he spends the rest of his life uh, singing these songs because he's a musician, grieving over her loss. There just happened to be a whole bunch of other uh, goddesses in the pantheon that got sick and tired of listening to him bawl and snot about his dearly departed wife. So what do they do? They mug him and they tear him to pieces. Man, I tell you what, some of these Greek gods really had some bad temperaments. So that's all rattling around in the minds of the Thessalonians. And here Paul calls, comes and says, let me tell you the true story about the real God who came back from the dead. This isn't a story. This is a reality. His name is Jesus, and you need to trust him. Wow, you want to talk about something that absolutely resonated in their ears? This was the real thing. This was the true story. Whew. Paul gave such convincing evidence about the real Jesus that some people actually believed and committed their lives to him. And these are the ones who made up the church at Thessalonica. These were the people who were committed to Jesus and to each other. You hear the relationship again? And we just could just skip right over verse 1. There it is. Well, there's one more here, and it's God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, there is no greater example of relationship than that of God himself. Three distinct personages, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, so unified as to actually be one. It's all about relationship. Think about this for a second. God is the source of all relationships. He's the one who's defined them all. Parent, child, God invented that. Husband, wife, God invented that. Brother, sister, God invented that. Friend and neighbor, God invented that one. Actually, there's no relationship that you can point to that does not find its origin with God. I challenge you. Tell me just one relationship that didn't begin with God himself. You see, God not only invented every relationship known to man, but he directs how they're to be conducted. Now, if you want a crash course on relationship, I would direct you to read just two chapters in the Bible. I always love this because, quite frankly, I like simple bottom line kind of stuff. If you know me, that's the way I think. So here are the two chapters. Exodus 20. This is where we're going to find the Ten Commandments. What do you do in regard to living around each other? Ten Commandments, the backbone of Western jurisprudence for the entire history. And here's the second one, Matthew chapter 5, actually 5, 6, and 7, also known as the Sermon on the Mount, because Jesus comes along and he says, okay, you know the Ten Commandments. Let me now tell you about the attitude behind the proper observance of the Ten Commandments. You want to know how to conduct relationships? If your life is screwed up, if your relationships are just in terrible shape, I would direct you back to those two chapters because you're going to find life and you're going to find some great counsel and encouragement there. It's all about relationship, folks. And there was a lot to be encouraged about among the Thessalonians in regard to this matter of relationship. So here's the second thing, thankfulness. 
encouragement because of the thankfulness that the, the Thessalonians produced. Look at verses 2 and 3. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, boy, there, would anybody like to diagram that sentence and bring it back to me next week? For all you grammarians out there, try that one. It's just one sentence, and boy, does it all hang together. It's all about how the conduct, I'll cut to the chase, the conduct of the Thessalonian Christians' lives positively affected these three Christian missionaries who had literally put their lives on the front line. This is a statement by Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Okay? And what they're saying back to this church is, you guys make us thankful. Why's that? Well, we're going to see in just a second, but you know, look at the depth of the thankfulness that they had. The Thessalonians, I can't say that, the Thessalonians were a cause of ongoing thankfulness. It wasn't just one thing they did, it was who they were that made Paul, Silas, and Timothy so thankful to God. They were a constant source of thankfulness. And they were also, as a result, a constant subject of prayer before God. Even as they were thankful for the Thessalonians, they would bring their names and their faces and those people before the Lord on a regular basis. So what was it that evoked such a response from Paul, Silas, and Timothy? Well, look at this. Three things again. Their faith-driven efforts. Their faith-driven efforts. Why do you do what you do? In the case of the Thessalonians, it was because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Their sacrificial love, the word labor there means to sacrifice, literally to cut. Their, their sacrificial love, why do you do what you do? Not just because it's the right thing to do because Jesus said it was the right thing to do, but because it was a labor of love. They did what they did because of their love. And because of their hope, driven by perseverance. You know, I... You ever see Walmart, you know, do they still do this where they get together in the beginning of the morning, all the sales associates meet in aisle three, and they have a pep talk, and yay! They still do that? I mean, that's kind of like what I think was going on here with the Thessalonians. Are we going to stay with the course? <laughs> I think they probably got a little more uh, excited than that. They had hope because they had made a commitment to hang a tough. They weren't a bunch of quitters. Wow, what a congregation. Hmm, let's see, faith, hope, and love. Uh, does that ring any bells for anybody? Faith, hope, and love. Oh, somebody's remembering something. So let me ask you a question. Where was Paul when he wrote this letter to the Thessalonians? I already told you. You remember? Where was he? He was in Corinth. He was in Corinth <laughs> dealing with the Corinthians, which was no easy task. Now, later, when Paul writes to the Corinthians to spur them on to spiritual maturity, and boy, did they need that, I cannot help but think that he had the Thessalonians in mind when he wrote these words, listen, love is patient 
and kind. Love does not envy or boast, is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. I think he was thinking about the Thessalonians when he wrote those words to the Corinthians. What do you think? Quite a coincidence, if not. Well, let's look at the last point of encouragement, and that is that whole subject of assurance. Boy, this is the bulk of the chapter, so buckle up. But it'll go quick, don't worry. I'm running out of juice. I'm ready to fall asleep too. Maybe not. <laughs> For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Let's just look at a couple of statements there because they are really worth our specific attention. Look what he says there. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that God has chosen you. So let me ask you a question. Has God chosen some and rejected others? Created some people to go to heaven, some people to go to hell. Now, there are people who believe that. I think that the Scripture does not teach that in any way, shape, or form. Quite frankly, it's disturbing. I mean, is, is God running some kind of exclusive club? What does his word say? That's always the question you ought to ask when you run into a question like this. Well, this is what God's word says. God offered his grace to all mankind without qualification. Maybe you've heard this verse before. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever, who does that exclude? Nobody. That whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Okay, now I'm going to say something here, and you better be listening or you won't get it. <laughs> and I'm not going to keep repeating it. It's simply this. God chooses to receive to himself those who receive him. Did you get that? But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You get this whole chosen thing? That's how the Thessalonians were chosen. Having chosen to believe God, having chosen Jesus, God chose them. Think about it. You know, God's call extends to everyone. But his choice is limited to those who make their choice to respond to his call. 
The Thessalonian Christians had made their choice. His name is Jesus. And I tell you what, if you've not made your choice, it's not too late as long as you're breathing. Choose well, you get one shot at this. Choose Jesus. So what was the evidence? That's really what the rest of that text is all about. Five things that I can see that I'd like to underscore for you. Number one was Holy Spirit conviction. How do we know that God had chosen them? A Holy Spirit conviction. Look at verse 5 there. In the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, they had embraced Jesus. They didn't argue with God's word. They simply accepted it. You ever get into one of those situations where somebody just wants to argue religion with you? <laughs> Save your breath. They didn't do that. They didn't argue about the Bible. They didn't argue about the word of God. They just believed it. You mean people actually do that? Yeah, they do. L listen to this. Jesus said of the Holy Spirit's work, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. You want to know people who did that? It was the Thessalonians. They were convicted. They believed. They heard it. They believed it. They were convicted. Here's the second thing. Look at verse 6. I call this apostolic imitation. Again, writing to the Corinthians, and I think with the Thessalonians in mind, Paul says this, Therefore, I urge you to imitate me, parentheses, I think at least in his mind, like the Thessalonians did, okay? For this reason, I'm sending you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Hmm. Apostolic imitation. They wanted to be just like Paul and Silas and Timothy. Look at the third thing. They became models of discipleship. Look at verse 7 there. You became an example to all the believers. You mean these young Christians established only for maybe just a few months became examples of what it was to walk with Jesus? Yeah. Well, I mean, you think about it. Not too many people were very old in the faith back then, were they? I mean, this was kind of a new thing. And they had become models. You know, what, what does it look like to follow Jesus? Go find a Thessalonian and watch them. That's what it looks like. Look at verse 8. They were also missionaries of the gospel. What does it say? The word of the Lord sounded forth from you. They weren't just happy in Jesus, man. They were happy in Jesus. They hit the road with the message. Your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. You can shut these guys up. Wow. And as such, they became sources of inspiration. Look at verse 9 there. Look at that. For people saw the Thessalonians, and they gave reports back to Paul. Have you seen it? You know, it's like Paul you know, goes somewhere, and somebody brings up the subject of Thessalonians. Have you seen those guys? No, tell me. Tell me what's going on. They are incredible. And they encourage people by their example. Now, here's what I want you to think about. The choices we make in living our Christian life are not just a matter of securing our own salvation relationship with Jesus. There is so much more. 
They are a real source of encouragement for our brothers and sisters around us, the way we live and walk with Jesus. The Christian life, listen, is no easy thing. And if, if somebody told you that, they told you wrong. Everyone needs encouragement, and every one of us can be a source of encouragement. If you know Jesus, you can be an encouragement, a source of encouragement to someone who knows Jesus. I think we think of spiritual leaders who encourage us. We got that one figured out. But we might not consider that we can be an encouragement to leaders by the way we walk our own path of discipleship. Have you ever thought about being a source of encouragement to your spiritual leaders by the way you choose to walk with Jesus? That's what the Thessalonians did. The way they walked with Jesus was such an encouragement to Paul, Silas, and Timothy, their leaders. I thought it was supposed to be the other way around. I thought the leaders were supposed to inspire and encourage the, yeah, but it is a two-way street, right? I'll tell you what, nothing encourages me more than to watch a brother or sister just do it, just walk with the Lord, just be faithful, just do it Jesus' way. Wow. You know, the Thessalonians were a church in waiting, waiting for the return of God's Son from heaven. Isn't that what we were just talking about in Matthew 24 and 25? Jesus said, I'm coming. They heard the message, and they were waiting. As a matter of fact, Paul says that. You're waiting. I'm watching you as you're waiting. You're waiting for the Son to return from heaven. The way in which they were waiting for the return of Jesus is what made them such a source of blessing to God's kingdom and encouragement to Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Oh. You know what? We, too, are a church in waiting. Waiting for the return of Jesus. Now, this morning, I'd like to leave you with this challenge from God's word as you wait this week for the return of Jesus. Listen to these words. Therefore, and it's right in this context, therefore prepare your minds for action. Prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. He's coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires that you had, you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so you be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy, because I'm holy. I was encouraged by that. Kind of like a good meal, huh? Just want to sit down and do it all over again, right? You can do that this week. I hope you do that this week. I hope you sit down with First Thessalonians chapter 1, and you just walk through that and allow the Holy Spirit to bring back to mind the things that we talked about this morning. May it be an encouragement for you. May God's strength lift you up and carry you forth into this week for his glory. Let's all stand. We're going to sing one more time. Thank you.
Come on, guys. Josh. I can see it in their eyes, empty people filled with care, headed who knows where. On they go through private pain, living fear to fear, laughter hides the sign. into this week to live in the light of the reality of what it means to be your redeemed people. Use us for your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name.